0: what's up what's up welcome to the one inch barrier i am your host Juan carlos Ojano, and i hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy all right so a quick reminder of the patreon page it's up it's still up and running and we're now in the seventh and final season of the podcast so i am hoping that you continue to support my work um covering world cinema and the oscars um next weekend i think we were gonna do another bonus episode in the 2020 retrospective we were already done with better days from hong kong and next weekend we are gonna do collective from romania so i hope you check that out all right so we have reached this point for this episode we are gonna talk about the film that won best foreign language film at the 29th academy awards that film is La Strada, which translates to the road literally co-written and directed by federico fellini so this was italy's first win and nomination in fact This is the first winner, first ever winner of this category. Because this is the first year where they had a competitive foreign language film category at the Oscars. For our next episode, until the final episode, we are going to discuss winners that received the honorary foreign language film award. So there were no other nominees. No winners, just recipients. So this is the first ever winner. So for a quick summary of La Strada, this is about a woman named uh Jessomina. She's a naive young woman who, um, because her sister died, um, she was purchased by a circus performer, Zampano, to be his wife and partner in performance in the performance in the touring circus, and she uh, endures his um lack of affection for her <laughs> since um she's mostly just treated as a partner in the performance. Um, meanwhile, Jasmina finds a kindred spirit in Ilmato, um uh, a simple-minded man also working in a circus, and because of that she starts to think about leaving Zampano. So that is that is a quick summary of La Strada. So our guest for this episode is from the Philippines. You've already heard her on the 3rd season, we ever re- when we discussed Belle Epoque in the films of 1993 and in the fifth season where we discussed get out your handkerchiefs in the film of 1978 so she's a f- short film producer I am so happy to have her back please welcome Christine Daisy De La Paz hi Christine thank you so much for joining me back having me, having you back thank you so
1: much, <laughs> thank you so, much. so I'm so happy this is the third time and thank you for inviting me Um. I want to do shout outs because I do have a friend who's actually gonna, going to listen or who, is, who listens to the podcast, maybe particularly for me. But yeah, she, she enjoys the podcast. So, hi, Jamie. Thanks for listening. And yeah, thanks, Ohana, for having me back.
0: Hi, Jamie. Carla. Yeah. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for sticking around. All right. So, um, since the last time we. We had a recording. You have done some stuff. So can you tell the listeners where can they find you on the internet as well as your recent works? Okay, I won't
1: plug my Twitter anymore. It's not that active. But do please like our um, film page. So the recent short film that I worked on is Looking for Refleches and Other Fleeting Things. A pretty, pretty long title. But you can find us on Facebook at L F R A O F T. But yeah, just look for it. Looking for your is probably the easiest way to find it. Um, we're, we were a finalist for um Cinema Live Shorts. So that's a big feat for me. Finally, something I can share with you guys. Because I remember when we were recording the last time, I think I was still shooting it. I couldn't say anything about it. But yeah, now it's released. Um, hopefully, you will be able to show it somewhere soon. So
0: watch out. That's it. Yay. All right. So... Last where where to begin, um, La Strada. One of the prescribed film viewings in film school. We both came from film school, so we know this title. But have you seen this film before?
1: No, no,
0: actually, I I, I know about Tellini, but this film, no. Yeah, um, I also know that I I know the title, but at the same time, it's not the first Tullini that I've seen the first Fellini that I saw was Amarcord, was for this podcast as well. And uh, I don't think I ever saw a Fellini in film school. I don't know why. Maybe I just um, danced around the curriculum or something. I don't know. Um, oops. But now that we've both seen La Strada, I would like to hear your thoughts. What did you think of La Strada? Okay.
1: So immediately about La Strada. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, first thing, well, it's Fellini. Actually, I have the same reaction. I know we both came from Film school. I don't know what this says about our school. It feels weird to represent u v f i but um, yeah, I haven't heard about it, so when I watched the film, I just you know came in with not knowing anything about it but first first impression the actress the actress so good, so um What's the word? Um, she's just she's charming without having to do anything. Like immediately, um, during the first few sequences, like I I just noticed her immediately. And I actually just want to share because I actually looked it up by chance that you know it was a very um decisive choice from the filmmaker. I don't know if we should um jump right into it right now. Go ahead. But, um, it's very interesting because like that's the first thing I noticed. So good job, Selene. <laughs>
0: Okay, so yeah, um, I we're coming from the previous episode of *Nights of Kabiria*, also directed by Fellini, also starring Giulietta Masina, and um, I I am surprised that I only discovered her this late in the podcast, of course, because this is her most renowned works. Um, *La Strada* continues to exemplify how how great she was as an actress. You know, she is very present emotionally, physically. Um she's just there and it's almost effortless. But you also know, like when you're conscious of like we know how things are getting done in film, like it's not effortless. There is so much um to be done there. But in the case of this one, her character, um, it's such a tricky character because um it could be broad, but her performance really shines because of how so much she adds, how much she adds in a role that could have been simple in fact when i would read descriptions of simple-minded like okay i where are we gonna get the story and in fact that this film is about a lot, a lot of things and she's the center of it her and uh, Anthony quinn um but her emotionality really shines in this one um I, I i i am i am sorry actually that this is only the second film from her that i saw and i am looking forward to seeing more um what do you think is with her that makes her performance really work in this one?
1: Yeah, you mentioned effortless. I was trying to look for that word a while ago, actually. It's the perfect way to describe it because, again, she captured me just in the first few sequences. Um, yeah, nothing um, that big or eventful even happened with the character yet, but she's, just, she's really, really charming. And um, you mentioned that, um, like, she adds something to a simple-minded character. Or I'm not sure if he meant to say that, you know, it's a simple, yeah, simple-minded character, or if it's a very, what how do I say this? Like, you know, it's not a big, big character. Because I actually feel like it's a big, big character. So um she she did it well. Cause I feel like if she didn't, it wouldn't work. Um I like the character so much. Um, I think that's the reason why she has something to put in it. Surprising. I mean, it's not, um, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but it's not like a, you know, it's a def- defeatist film well about a, we- a woman, but it has a lot of character, I, like the fact that she's dressed as a clown, like, I feel like there's um small bits to the character throughout the film that makes it so interesting, that's why there's something that she can get from it. So, yeah, for me, the, I guess the script or the actual character that was written is actually the reason why she has something to bring in.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was a tricky one because it could have been broad. But at the same time, she didn't go for broad. It is, um, you know, the nature of the performance of the character is so tricky because most of the time she's almost, like, clueless. Or maybe she sees things in a simple way. But we know that it's not just that. And she has to toe the line of, like, being present and knowing that her character kind of sees things in a simpler way. And, you know, she's sad when she's sad. She mourns for someone when someone dies. <laughs> but, it's it's so much more than just jumping from one emotion or another. There is so much happening and understanding of um, maybe we could go a little bit of it. You know, the even without her noticing it, because, you know, she's a naive character. Um, The texture of of the setup you know it's kind of misogynistic you know she was bought as a replacement you know the fact that she was bought (laughs) um there's also the layer of them being poor that you know they are willing to sell their daughter for her um but those things aren't aren't distractions they are just layers or just textures to the performance into the story that um doesn't distract but really adds so much in under under in our understanding of the world and that is also one of the things that is, I think is the strength of Fellini is that he's very interested in characters. Um, not only with the two, but with also the side characters. And in a way, you know, I, kind of, I just saw a doing a, while a few days ago. You know, that is about world building. And understandably, so it's science fiction. I don't know why I went there. But the thing with Fellini is that he was doing world building through characters. And the characters are very specific. You know, you get the nuns, you get the people in the, in the circus. Um, how do you th- how do you think that film... Why do you think that film works? Why do you think the film works in not only having interesting main character... I'm not even add, adding Anthony Quinn because I want to know if you like that role slash performance. But you know, the film as a whole is populated with so much characters, human beings. And even in small moments or like there's one scene, they add so much to her journey. It's, it's, it's in her perspective the whole time. In his... Um, why do you think this that works for this film?
1: The character building, basically.
0: Yeah, lots of characters, and they're all kind of essential, and also like it's almost like vignette in a way, vignette style in a way.
1: Uh well, honestly, it's not like the uh, highlight I think about when I think about the film. I mean, I know it's a yeah, maybe it's a Fellini thing, but. Uh, since I'm not really a fan, or like I haven't, I've seen just I haven't even seen a full Fellini film aside from this. You know, I've seen bits again, film school things, film film, film school requirements stuff. But um, yeah, um, it's hard for me to answer that because again, it's not something that I I thought about or you know if I'm to generalize the whole film. But thinking about it now, it's probably because the two main characters are strong, mm-hmm. like also him. Yeah, okay. yeah, and him, and um, and the story. Uh, I guess the story is uh has its strength. So in a way, it's able to complement um, you know, the whole cast and the ensemble. It works. It doesn't really, um. Well, again, in my case, it doesn't like stand out, stand out as something special to me. But at the same time, it's good that it doesn't stand out because it just works. Like um, it's very seamless. It doesn't feel like it's sticking out in the wrong way. What do so, yeah. yeah
0: what do you think was the highlight
1: was it messina the main the main main characters I don't see them much as an ensemble i guess that's what i mean when i when I say like it's not a highlight, but it's really the two main characters and the, yeah the loneliness feeling what do, yeah what do you
0: think of the character zampano Anthony Quinn?
1: Zampano that
0: male guy.
1: <laughs> well i have um, <laughs> uh well i guess as a disclaimer i just saw the film like hours hours same <laughs> so it's very same it's very fresh it's very fresh and i think of them um um he's a guy and um i i tend to i tend to look at films a lot in a feminist perspective so the whole time I was just thinking um I, I have a specific dialogue that I really like or a specific theme which I really like which is when he he does his whole act and he keeps saying that you know um you have um when when someone did this act way before uh they lost their sight I think if I'm not mistaken he also did that the second time he also said the dialogue that um um, the person who did this act will lose his sight when he blah blah blah. I don't know. Uh, let let me know if you if you if that's stuck to you particularly. But this whole time, I was just waiting for him to lose his eyesight, for something destructive. I don't know if it's the very angry woman in me, but I was waiting for him to have a scene that's just very brutal and I don't know something that would make me feel better <laughs> as a woman. But it ended with a sad, sad, alone man, which I guess I'm not really a fan of or I feel sadder about. But again, it's it's very it's a sad film. But I, I didn't like that part. But if we're talking about his performance, hmm. hmm I'm gonna have to think about it.
0: You're not a fan Do of the any... ending. The ending, no. No. Because it was defeatist
1: yeah and i was i expected something i don't know why i mean this is the 1950s but i i guess i know why because i saw the other films and okay no technically if we talk about uh your your base how do you how do you pronounce Gervais, Gervais. Gervais, Gervais. <laughs> we're so sorry for butchering that title but um and, you know it's also something sad but i don't know I was ho hope- it's International Women's Day yesterday, so I was hoping for something intense, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. Oh, you said that you're um because this is this film the character of um uh, Zampano treats Jasomina really badly. But do you think it was ever reflective of the film as well? Do you think the film was misogynistic or was was it separate? Um Zampano's misogyny and could you also attribute it with the film or no? The film is not he was. The character was.
1: Very, very interesting. I feel like it was a... Uh... Uh, it's actually hard to think about right now because I feel like I've, I'm so far, again, um, just a few hours after I've seen it, I'm very into just the character separately and it's kind of hard for me to wrap around the full film, but if i'm gonna have to think about it, I feel like it's um it's both like um like unconsciously, no matter what we do, it's just gonna it it end ends so mis- up misogynistic for me, or I can read it in that sense because um that's the world or the context that it came from again, the nineteen fifties um it's a male director um I, yeah, I'm not surprised that this is his perspective, or this, I feel like it, it was the fact that it was too simple minded, or there weren't any, like, um, I think there weren't any conscious conscious decisions to think about the female character, how, how this is going to be defeated how this is gonna, you know, how that's, that's the main theme that it's going to give off, then I guess, by default, it's misogynistic, I can't say for sure if he meant it that way, but I'm saying if I want to read it in that sense, I I'm I'm pretty sure if I go back to it, there's something that I can get from it, and it's gonna be like a sad, sad analysis of the film for me, on my end, looking at it from a feminist perspective.
0: Yeah, I asked that because I know, I'm, I know uh, yeah, last week I we just we talked about Nights of Kabiria. It is about a prostitute, uh, a sex worker. Sorry, a sex worker that went through so many uh, misfortunes in love and life. And I I asked, I did ask, would you think the film was misogynistic because the film focused on her misadventures? And, you know, there is a certain line um, between focusing on the misadventures of a person because we empathize with that person, a character, I mean, and just relishing in the misery of the character, i.e. women, so misogynistic. With this one, I'm still not sure. When Dites of Faberia, I was sure that for me, I didn't read it as misogynistic because even when she was going through misadventures and misfortunes, the film loves the character. The film doesn't want to make fun of that character. She goes through a lot, but there is a certain level of respect that you can see with the film. With um with La Strada, I am not. I still cannot put my, like my fingers on it, and um I'm still. I think it's because, you know, I came with Nights of Kabiria where that is solely the perspective of the character of Julieta Messina With this one, it's both Julieta Messina and Anthony Quinn's characters. Um and Zambano. So that's why I was having a little bit of trepidation. Like, hmm, I am not sure where to put this one. Um I you know, I I I I, I have seen uh, Amar Amarcord, um Felini Satiricon, Eight and a Half, La Dolce Vita. Knights of Kabir yeah um I think Knights of Kabir is still my favorite uh it's the previously my favorite Fellini. like I said in the previous episode I have a certain distance with this with his filmography I think it's just a per- kind of perspective that he takes in life and um, the er- the later films kind of feel like there's a sense of privilege that I am not a biggest fan of in terms of perspective that we take in film um, with this one because you know these characters are in poverty. Um, even Zampano. I think almost everyone, all people in this character, all characters here, are in poverty. Do you think there was ever a condescension against the poor in a perspective of the film?
1: Oh, okay, we're well, gonna jump into that. I have so many thoughts about.
0: The- Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> fine,
1: fine. Okay, okay. So, um, in terms of class, you made me. You made me think so much about the misogyny
0: part. Oh, if, you you wanna, if you want to, if you want to process that I, first, you back. can go there. Yeah, I I have to process.
1: I have to go back first. Yeah, go to, ahead. To, to our discussion about misogyny, you can cut it there. <laughs> but yeah, so um, when you were talking about the misogyny part, I feel like we can talk about the level of misogyny in this film. Would we say um the disregard for the female perspective would mean that you know it's very misogynistic, because I feel like the ending is such a big, big part of it for me. Like the disregard of her perspective, because we ended with Zapano, and I don't like it. We ended there. We ended with him having to, you know, he gets to contemplate about what happened to him. He kind of gets to be humanized, humanized in the end. So I, if I, if I, if I just keep on thinking about that part, and you know, endings are definitely you know. The statement sometimes in this case I feel like this I mean it's a pretty long film so to have that kind of ending it must mean something and it must wrap up the whole thing so um if we go there then there's lots of misogyny going
0: there going on there so yeah do you think she wasn't humanized enough? she was just
1: ruined I, like like Maybe to some level you can say you can use the word humanized, but not really like it's like you know like at the end of the list somehow that's not something I would say. She's she's a character. She's a clown, literally a clown, which is actually something that I like about the character as well. But at the same time, she's a clown, so it wasn't she wasn't portrayed as a clown to be sarcastic. She was just really a clown, I think, with the yeah the whole character. Is a clown, so yeah, that's why she wasn't like humanized, humanized, she was just mistreated
0: at the end of the day. I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that was my distance with the the film. Is that Messina was doing so much, Uh, the film itself kind of doesn't dig deep enough in her character. Um, so should we get back to class? Ooh, yeah, okay. Can get yeah. So, what did you think of its depiction of these characters? Do you think it was a condescending portrayal of impoverished people?
1: Um, it's actually a weird take because it doesn't exactly have a clear stand. I don't know if it's a Felina thing to, you know, not really dwell on class struggle. Uh, I hope you can tell me more about that if you do have any thoughts about it. But, um. It doesn't have a very strong um, inkling on the class struggle. I think it makes use of their uh, occupation or their context as a backdrop. I'm not saying it's like a mere backdrop, but um, it doesn't, yeah, it just, for me right now, looking at it, it's not something that sticks out. It was, it's more of a, it's not a spectacle as well. So that's good you know it's not trying to say that you know this is the life of the poor people and um it's hard it 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 is it is i think it was really a lot about the relationship between two people instead so um i don't know if it's wrong that it it focuses more on that but um that's the main theme that gets stuck in my head and um a lot of the context on
0: why or like
1: their class struggle um, I don't see much of
0: it, to be honest, right now. Yeah, I see it more as a dimension, but but gladly the film kind of avoids sensationalizing that aspect. It is, it is a context that the film needed to be able to tell its story. Because of course, um, you know, it started with there um, buying the daughter with you know, money, um, but it it's not. I was thinking if it should it. Would it have been better if we dug deeper into that, but you know, um, I think the film was more interested in their dynamic as a couple, working couple, <laughs> um, you know, that layer as well of them in the circus. Uh, it talks about performance, it talks about you know the hue because, um, the character of Zampano is more about the spectacle, and you know, the character of. I forgot the name of the character, uh, Jasmina. The character of Jasmina is a clown and, you know, she is supposed to be humorous. But there is a tinge of tragedy underneath that comedy that we see in them. And um, unfortunately, the comedy comes from someone who is naive. So that kind of breaks, makes it more heartbreaking. Um, What do you think of that layer of, you know, the, the concept of performance? And how do you think that applies to the film? And do you think, the usage of the concept of the performance. Do you think that works in the context of the characters?
1: Yeah, I think it's a lot about the performance in this film. Um, if, you're, if we're speaking about like the concept or the theme of the circus, and um, yeah, I guess the idea of performing, um, I think it's used um, to portray the, uh, what do you call this, the relationship between the two. It's a lot about trying to fit into a certain role, particularly for Jasmina trying to fit um into her it's her sister, right? Um Rosa or Rosa, Rosa's role. And then I think for Zampano, he's also well, he has his own character. He's an actor. So um he's he's he, it's a lot about um performing and trying to fit into a role. And it's it's very interesting because um it's what um I feel like in general the thing with acting or performing is it's very extreme it could be it could be very um like you can give into the character but at the same time you can get out of it i don't know if that thought makes sense but just i'm trying to get the feeling of uh, performing which is you know it makes it makes everything fatal like the relationship fatal because you're not sure if it's if it's real, you're not sure if there's something to, you're you're not sure who you're talking to like I feel like Zampano is like two people mm. you know, like I feel like sometimes we see his vulnerability like for example, in the first sequence, at least like he he wasn't act he wasn't an actor yet, and then for um for Jasmine, I think it's quite the opposite like she's just this girl, a simple girl who's being sold by her mother, and then later on she has like this um. I don't know, softy side, mm-hmm. I guess. Since you know, like she, she does have a character. Like she's able to perform actually, and to, um, yeah, to excel, I guess. I sorry, something as someone who who excels, but, um, yeah, the it's 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 maybe thinking about it, like that's the highlight for me. The idea they're able to to show this dynamic, um, the two main characters, mainly. um, very very dynamic performance.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that is a strength a strength of the film as well as that it was able to have a coherence in its theme and the actual story because because of you know, the concept, of the performance. You know, right at the beginning, she was literally replacing the role of the sister, so it's a it's it's a performance as well. Without and you know she she is not performing, but she was trained by Zampano to start performing. And the thing with performers is that you you got to have trust with each other so so you, you can be able to perform. And with these two characters, they really don't know each other. So how do you perform with people that don't actually want to connect with you <laughs> beyond the performance? That raises the tension of the film. That kind of excavates more dramatic juice, I guess, or tension. I think that was a good part of the film. And it was able to uh, ex- extract more... More of the dynamics and also the character of the the character of uh, Ilmato the other simple minded guy in you know, it's another part of the circus group um, also another performer that they it's it's almost as if Josamina and Ilmato they don't are not in full awareness that they're performing but they are part of the performance and it adds a, tra- a, a tragic layer as well to their characters and in their relationships and it it shows why She has a certain attachment to Ilmato and um, Zampano cannot stand that. (laughs) Cannot stand people who do not perform, Uh, I guess, you know, because Ilmato and Josumi just clicked and it it adds to the... Would you classify, though, this film as a tragic comedy?
1: Actually, I was going to say The Death of Ilmato was uh, kind of a comedy because like you mentioned kind it kind of feels like a performance. I didn't really feel I like El Mato, like he's he's a nice guy, seems like, you know, some like a lovable character. But I didn't really feel any sadness in particular with what happened to him. More more comedic, I guess, cause maybe maybe it's because of the performance part. Cause they're they're more of filling in roles. Like this is necessary. Like his death is necessary for for the- for Zampano and Josumina to feel something towards you or have like a more obvious conflict I guess or maybe like a turning point to- to make things more tragic so um it does- it does feel like a- uh yeah it's- in general it is- it's- it's very- it's very dramatic but uh, it's very dramatic, and well, with that ending. You, you, it's, it's definitely tragedy. Not my type of tragedy, but it but is.
0: Yeah, it's not necessarily the character that I empathize the most. <laughs> and the film ended with a, his tragedy. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, this film also takes a segue with Faith, and, you know, there's also the character of the nuns that they were there. I, I, I'm not sure how that fits very well. Maybe it is in the tangent of Faith vis-a-vis suffering, and, you know, they are in poverty. So that very strange connection between uh, suffering and faith. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how to locate that as well. But, you know, in the end, um, I'm going to be honest. And I would say that I didn't always connect to La Strada. I kind of like more respect it, admire it than love it. Uh, I'm not I didn't always have the emotional investment there. Uh, I'm still figuring it out. Was it the perspective that it, the, the film took? Was it because it kind of tried to balance out Josemina and Zampano? Or I'm still figuring it out to be honest right now. Um, I didn't always connect to it.
1: But at the same time, it feels like something I can still watch again. Yeah. Yes, for you?
0: Yeah, it is something that is worth looking back. I do. I think there are layers. There's still layers there. And I think it would make, it makes sense that, you know, the legacy that it got kind of attests to that because the film wasn't that well received in its initial release. Then it got a reappraisal. So I think and you know where we have those films where you know I'm, I'm not in love with it that much when I first saw it, but you know there are things to like go back into it, and I think that is a strada for me. I really respect this. Um, I read that this was very difficult for Fellini to make, and I see reason. I, I see some of the proof why would have it? It would have been um, hard to make. There's so much happening. It it could it. It could one could say it, it's a, it's it's a simple story, but then there's so much happening there, um, and uh, yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to add to La Strada?
1: Um, I'm just uh, um, I guess I wanted to mention again how how amazed I am by the fact that because I was reading about it um, before we started recording a while ago about how um Fellini had a hard time um trying to tell everyone in production how important that it, it was um it was, his wife his wife Fellini's wife plays the role and I don't know I just feel like it was so vital in me liking the whole film even, even if I see the film as somehow misogynistic and you know a defeatist film that I'm not really a big fan of but um it's just interesting how those um little not really, not little, but that major decision makes such a big difference. Why I would actually want to look back into the film because I love, I, I love her performance.
0: Yeah, so she yeah. yeah, she gives so much, and it's worth it's worth getting back into. So yeah, so that is La Strada.
1: È arrivato Zampano.
0: Lì. Dai. Zampano è arrivato.
1: Così devi dire. È arrivato Zampano!
0: So let's talk about how La Strada ended up at the Oscars. It was it premiered in Milan, Italy in September 23, 1954. In Rome, October 1, 1954. And before all of that, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival in September 6, 1954, where it won the Silver Lion. And then it was it screened at the United States in July 16, 1956, two years after the um, Venice premiere. This was Italy's first win nomination again, first winner ever of this category was also nominated for best writing, best screenplay original. Um, previous awards, National Board of Review Top 5 and New York Film Critics Circle win for foreign language film. So this is exciting. Um, here we have the first group of nominees in this category. Alrighty. <laughs> All right, so the nominees are the captain from Kupenick from West Germany gervais from france harp of burma from japan and Kivitok from denmark daisy which one would you like to discuss first
1: um let's discuss according to how i ran it spoiler, a, uh, spoiler. Uh, wow. <laughs> no okay fine okay i'll discuss it based on how i watched okay, it. okay you so did so that before i watched Alphabetically, oh, I think okay. this will be alphabetically. Oh, no, 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 not alphabetically. Uh, I'll just based on my okay. notes, okay. So-
0: <laughs> okay adjusting so- <laughs> in real time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first film I watch is Captain from Kupinik. I hope I pronounced it. I'm sorry again in advance for this whole show. Uh, I'll always be
0: butchering names
1: here, but yeah, I'm sorry. I wish we
0: had some that. All right. So the captain from Kupinick from West Germany, it's directed by Helmut Kuttner. Uh, For a quick summary, it is about a cobbler named uh, Wilhelm Voigt who discovers he lost his ID, which is required for him to get work. And because he has served time in prison, uh, he's always sidelined by the city government. And because he could not get work, he then steals a second-hand officer's uniform and pretends to be uh, an officer. So that he could get a card. This premiered in Venice and won a Best Actor award in the subsection in Venice. All right. So, what do you think of the Captain from Kubenik?
1: I like it. It's so sensible. That's how I like to describe the film. It's it's very quotable. I guess that's why you say it's sensible. And um, um, I don't know if it's right to say that it's a simple story, but it is, and it's very light, and has a very clear theme. I think quite the opposite of La Strada in a sense because I remember how we don't know if it's, you know, does it tackle class struggle? Does it use it? This does, definitely. I think it, it, it mentions it quite a lot and that's what I like about it actually.
0: I would agree. The Catherine from Kupinic is very economical in what it wants to say. It is a story of inequality and uses comedy to portray that and you know, maybe my observation with this film is that I was expect I was kind of expecting it to be to push the absurdity even further. But even if it didn't necessarily go that far, um, I think the humor is respectable, I mean, in in a sense that it lands, the jokes land. And um there is a sense that the humor is always anchored in its theme, which is always a good sign of a comedy when it's um, thematically coherent with everything else. Um the cast seems very game in this film. And, um, you know, for a film that could have been simplistic in its take, because, you know, it it is a comedy that tackles inequality. For a film that could have been basic with it, actually, the film is also kind of visually interesting. You know, there are certain choices in blocking and framing and composition that really kind... Like, I remember this one meeting with the prisoners... Um, there is this intention to kind of show more beyond what is in front of us. Like, for example, some of the blocking are really interesting. Um, I, mentioned, I already mentioned that. Um, and it is clear-sighted in what it wanted to do. And I, I like that in a comedy. Um, like I said, it's not like La Strada. La Strada was a lot of things. This one is one thing and really focuses on that. And I think that is a strong aspect of this film. When you actually said that you wish it pushed the absurdity
1: more, I actually was thinking maybe the form could have been pushed more, but you just mentioned that you feel like it does have very precise reasons or like it it does have a play on form somehow. but I feel like it I think it did during the start. I do remember certain um, scenes in particular. But not towards the end or not as a whole, I would say. And maybe that would have been interesting for me to push the absurdity more. But at the same time, I don't know. The the topic itself, I feel like um um it's very delicate. Either you make it so simple or it's not, because it's it's Germany in the nineteen fifties. So it's yeah, it I, I don't know um if it if it tries to push anything else more, whether it's the absurdity or the context. I don't know where it would go, and maybe you know that could be a possible weakness if if something changes. Because right now it's just it's a I think it's a really nice piece. I like, it. I like. It.
0: But would you say it's not enough?
1: No, I I'm well. Um, if I think about it now as a film now in twenty twenty two, I think it's enough. But if it was a, a you know if I try to put myself in the nineteen fifties, maybe it was end. Could be, could be have lack more context or maybe more strength talking about um, military or the obsession maybe maybe it wasn't good for them that it was that light possibly i'm not sure could could be a possible thing but right now me you know years 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 after it it's okay it's a
0: it feels like a timeless piece mm-hmm. somehow i agree it also it feels light weight but also doesn't take its topic lightly um even despite all the humor despite all the the shenanigans that happens in this film there is a there is quite a strong core and it always goes back to that and um i think that pretty much ties everything which i think is a, and i think it's it's just a delight um that because <laughs> we rarely get lighthearted films now these days in this category with the first this being the first year of the this category um already we kind of see some of the the trends like i would say that two of the nominees are like heavy dramas one is um a complicated drama with a tinge of comedy and one is a bit like drama but you know they're all in the they're all in the drama side and as we go along we then start to see films that are you know in comedy but there is a bite like almost like a dark facet to those stories and I I like that a captain from Koopanik in a way is serious in what it wants to say but also doesn't take itself that seriously and you know it's a testament that I mean uh I'm I'm thinking about it would would it have survived the test of time if it pushed the absurdity even further because what was absurd then may not be absurd now but as it stands maybe not that memorable I guess but when you watch it like you know a it works and it's a nice addition to this group um that's my piece on the Catherine from Kopanic is there anything else you'd like to add to the Catherine to from Kopanic something and G okay G what's the what's the next film
1: (laughs) alright let's move on to the second film I watched it's
0: Kivitok yeah Mm Kivitok from Denmark uh, directed by Eric Balling. it is about it is about a young teacher um, who arrives in Greenland from Denmark to surprise her fiancé. I'm just reading the... I think I'm reading the IMDb. I don't know. But, you know, when she arrived there, she realized that her fiancé is already about to be married to an assistant nurse. And because um, the ships aren't that often traveling there yet, so she is stuck to spend some time there in Greenland. Um, then she enters into a relationship with Jens and uh, also a Dane who manages a trading company up was there. And then you also have people there that there like Pavia who um is getting involved with um becoming a company fisherman, but there there are there are also like the concepts of the the fellow villagers worried about the spirit of the Kivitok. Kivitok, I think the translates to the I think the mountain wanderer I'm not. i will confirm later, but um, it premiered in the Cannes Film Festival that year. So, um, what do you think of Kiwi Talk? I
1: have a screenshot of a particular line in Kibitok. Um, it's um, it's the oh, what's the name of the main character? The girl, no, Eva, Eva, Eva. Um, she says, uh, she's talking to her past lover, the the mm-hmm. the doctor. Um, she says you're failing everything. Is it just because of Greenland? And I feel like, for me personally, how I see the film, it kind of captures that. Is it because of Greenland? Yes, it is. I would say um, the film talks and illustrates about Greenland. It's a, it's very, um, it's very interesting because again it illustrates it, and but I have no idea about uh, Greenland. Um, I am from the Philippines, way here in Asia. Um, Greenland is way up there it's very (laughs) cold there quite the opposite it's hard to resonate with the whole thing um i wouldn't say it's successful in trying to um portray or but i wouldn't say also that it's not but it's very interesting um it's very interesting to me because it's you know it's like an intro for me anyway about greenland but it's not dark as well so it's not like yeah, I think um among the roster of films or the nominees um this one is um I have a love hate relationship with this film. Like um I would also like to mention in particular this the theme of uh, trigger warning suicide. Yeah. Um it's I like it, I like how it was portrayed. It wasn't not because it wasn't heavy but because it was not uh, what's the word? It wasn't forced, contrived. Okay, it wasn't forced. It was just natural, and I feel like yeah, that's that's, um, yeah. If you talk us about like the heavy, heavy mountain wonder nightmare kind of thing, so maybe it was actually um successful in telling me about that particular topic or making me think about that particular topic. But at the same time, you know, um, you know, I. I Feel kind of lost with the
0: characters, so yeah. You know, the QB Talk is interesting because it is a drama. Um It also feels low stakes, and you know that that's weird thing. That's a weird thing to say because you know, again, there's a topic of suicide as well. There's a topic of like the, the tension between the traditional and uh, you know, the the modern. But in a way, Kiwi Talk is a very simple film, and I'm I mean it both as. Positive and a bit negative. Positive because I think the the, the filmmaker understands. You know, Kiwi Talk, I would imagine before and even now, shooting that was a logistical challenge. I remember 1999's nominee, Caravan, which shot in the Himalayan mountains, the actual Himalayas. That story was very simple. But that story had a very... Coherent, I've been saying coherent um, a lot in this podcast. Like, the the, the story feels that it comes from the location. So the story could not be separated from the location. With Kiwi Talk, it feels like, you know, it has these, you know, we're now in 2022, but these things that were shot in 1956, it's still amazing. (laughs) You know, when you go through the. the ice stuff, <laughs> the the glaciers, I guess the iceberg glacier. I'm not yeah. sure. Icebergs. Um, the ice. Um, it's still a sight to be seen. It logistically, I still could not think, especially before with the big cameras that they have. But the story of Ava kind of feels separate from that. So my struggle sometimes is that there isn't enough unity. In making sure that, you know, we encounter those stories here in the Philippines where they would shoot somewhere else just because they want to travel. But the story could be set in any place. That's my struggle sometimes with Kiwi Talk, is that with its central story, it feels like it could have been anywhere else and not there. But it is a digestible film. I think it's a, it is an amiable, harmless film. You know, I props to it for um, not... T- sp- speaking of condescension a while ago, not condescending to the natives of Greenland. In the, uh, in the film, they are side characters. You know, a part of me wants the film to focus on the side characters more because then there are more interesting stuff there. But, you know, it wasn't a condescending thing. The film obviously didn't try... It, wasn't interested in getting to know them more. They're more like um, a subplot because there was that sub butterfly I think um someone not kinda in love or something with another native there that is a that is a segue um that is a layer it's not that's not where the film is very interested in it is interested in the outsiders um so I would just wish for the film to have <laughs> i don't know to have more um thread that connects the central story to the location because. Um, it it and and that applies not only to films that have like hard to go to locations. I think everywhere and every film, it the, the milieu has to support and not support, but also coexist with the plot and have a symbiotic relationship where they're both essential. Otherwise, um, that's a weakness, I guess, in writing. Not I'm not just talking about keep we talk about talking about writing in general. Is that if you fail to give reason why the film was set there aside from, you know, the, you can feel that the film kind of like takes a left turn when it goes okay. to the nature aspect of it, of the film. Then I'm not sure you're entirely successful in bringing those two together.
1: Yeah, I feel like um, I I don't agree that the Greenlandic or I'm not sure if, it's, of the, more, if the more appropriate term would be like the Inuit reading about it i'm not sure i I don't i'm not sure i agree that there's a plot because fabia like, has this big big role towards the end yeah and actually like um in the whole plot device thing but um i i'm i'm really wondering if there's some context to it that i'm missing because like um there i feel like maybe there's a reason why the danish people or yeah the characters uh the danes are like uh, chosen specifically like maybe they have a very specific um, feeling towards Greenland um, I'm not sure if I'm missing a lot of context again I am I keep going back to I'm not sure if I'm resonating that well with the context in the story and I'm not sure if it's the fault of the film I, I wouldn't say fault but maybe it's somehow lacking there. because I don't hate the film again I don't hate it but it just feels like a hit or miss thing yeah um, I would watch it again, actually, but it would be like kind of scary if I don't find anything. That's, that's the, the kind of feeling it gives off. But I am really curious to know more about the history about it. So I feel like there's something there that I'm not sure if the burden should be on me as the viewer or on the filmmaker to, to portray that. But then again, maybe it wasn't the intention. Maybe it was actually trying to focus on the relationship or more internal conflict which yeah I'm not sure about but I don't hate it for for being so simple
0: Yeah, I don't hate it either I mean it is an easy watch I just wish it, it yeah for, it wasn't <laughs> and, I, and I just wish that it had more of a mark that as opposed to something that just flies by yeah I'm reading right now like yeah um, the main ethnic group and green that is Inuit Thank you for the uh, clarification, yeah. They're the Inuit, um, also called Greenlanders. Wait, <laughs> um, you know, with Kiwi talk, I don't know. I think th- there's so many interesting things where it could have gone, too. Um, even with the stories that they have, you know, I think <laughs> with just with just with the story of Pavia, it just felt like a subplot. Maybe it mm-hmm. wasn't, but it felt like one, because the film was so centered on Ava and her men, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that the, the character of Pavia sometimes feels like, "All right, why are we looking at here?" And then it only has a resonance by the end, which maybe it's the f- maybe the film should have worked it in more smoothly, so that it doesn't feel like the climax of the film is not interested in the character that the film has been interested in for the longest time. Um but you know it is um kind of like the Captain from Kupernik, it is easy to watch. I just feel like the Captain from Kupernic has something more to say than Kevy Talk.
1: That's true. If if we were to like um to talk more about it like in, you know, if we had more time I, there are particular scenes that i like in kiwi talk but then you know as a whole you know i, I can't say much for it i can vouch for the film
0: can you mention those
1: scenes um the particularly the scenes where it talks more about greenland so like the kid being attacked by the dogs I, I just think the presence of the wilderness or the wild and give it up like the the setting itself like understanding that and then at the same time, about um, there's a scene where they're cutting up the seal. Mm-hmm. Um, I that scene in particular really makes me feel like, okay, we're we're in Greenland. Yeah. Um, is this ethical? How did they
0: shoot this?
1: Um, no yeah, worries. Like, what, it was
0: the fifties. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah,
1: like you know, like was was this normal? This that part that those parts were interesting. I just really totally agree that you know I feel like we saw. Not really two films, but like, you know, two short stories that happen to be set in the same
0: yeah. place. <laughs> yeah. One is just more interesting than the other. Yeah, and um, yeah. I remember that scene when I forgot the name. I'm not sure if it's even Pavia. The one when it's uh, Pavia. It's Pavia. The, 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 keep rotating the ca- in the canoe. Cano, oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Kayak. Yeah, kayak. Those scenes that, like you said, make Greenland such a Part of the story, are the strongest parts of the film, and even to this day, I think you could. There's a value in watching Kiwi Talk because it feel, It, it I, when I was watching, it feels like a time capsule. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: I'm intro to Greenland. That's how I think about it. Yeah. Weird intro to Greenland because it's also trying to be dark about it. So.
0: Yeah, and it's an intro to Greenland, but it's more interested in the Danes that went to Greenland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, never mind. All right, so G, what's the next film? G G
1: for Gervais. All right. You know? Gerv- G- I think it's Gervais. I think it's Gervais. Silent French. S, and, Gervais. I, definitely, it's, uh, it's the French. So.
0: All right, so let's go with Gervais. Gervais from France. It is directed by René Clément. It is about a um, titular role, Gervais, a Parisian laundress um, and a mother whose lover walks out on her. And then she marries another guy that had an accident and then became an alcoholic. And then she... Uh, his, her lover comes back and then she really... Another man that she... She has so many choices. Another man is sent to prison. Sana all oh, char So this, <laughs> um, this film premiered in Venice and won Best Actress for Maria Schell. So... Gervais. What Gervais. do you think of Gervais?
1: I can't believe you gave me the burden of telling you how to pronounce Gervais in this podcast. But
0: anyway... It's I was ready to say Gervais.
1: No, I'm, I'm just sure it's not... It's either Gervais or Gervais. No, no, no it's not Gervais. It's, it's,
0: Gervais.
1: it's I think it's Gervais. Um, another male director. Another defeatist film. Another... Ah, happy international women's month watching this and it's another yeah it's, it's a lot of sadness i and another good performance from a really good actress so lots of similarities with la strada i guess but my thoughts on it i like this way more maybe because i resonate with it more because they're um I like I like the theme I like how it's is it simple it's not simple it talks about cast struggle it that again I guess different from the strata it's it's more sure about that I think it's more sure with this theme somehow more more toned down and yeah i it's just really it's still very defeatist for me now in 2020. But it's a performance to watch, I guess. That's why I really, really like it. And there are, there are bits of it that I really, really enjoy. But
0: I want to hear from you first. I feel like I said a lot. All right, so, Gervais, Gervais. <laughs> thank you. Benefits from what La Strada didn't have, which is a strong, meaning multifaceted female character. Her journey, despite you know, despite the film being, um, I don't know, it's 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 more generically melodramatic than I expected. But the thing is that Gervais is a character that I am interested in following because the film is interested in her as well. And aside from having a wonderful performance at the center by Marie-Achelle Shell, um, it is just as interested in the small moments as well as in the big moments. Of course, the big moments are big but when it talks about her because this is about her struggles when it delves into her struggles it really does and with that i get some clarity in what it wants to say the the sub the context of the class is also very vivid and the also the side characters are also well acted so in a way it it feels fully formed i, I also i don't love it I, I respect it and maybe La Strada is more ambitious than Gervais but Gervais I think is more fully formed. So now okay. I will ask yeah, go ahead. No, 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 So I will ask you since I I asked this in the La Strada question in, the La, in La Strada La Strada now Gervais also talks about the struggles of the woman and her misfortunes. Do you think that Gervais, Gervais was uh, misogynistic?
1: I think it wasn't. Um, I agree that it really does focus a lot on her perspective Mm -hmm. and going back again trying to um, give a lot of emphasis on the ending. A very, 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 very defeatist film. But, you know, we're not surprised it's the 1950s. um, And it's just a sad... It's a sad era for a lot of people. So I'm not surprised that it's going to end up sad. But I think it's not because... um, I feel like she owned it. The character really owned it. Um there's um there's um if you talk about the Strada, you you know, again it went back to Zampano and all throughout the film you you would question or you would rely more on the on the on the duo. But this one, she has so many men, which is so so nice. I love it. (laughs) I know, it's so nice. It's so nice and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't distasteful, I guess, because because yeah. it feels full, it feels full. The story feels full, so um, in that sense, I, I, I it's a plus plus one for
0: me. Yeah, it it doesn't feel like it's demeaning its main character, despite the struggles that she's going through. The empathy is very evident, and you know, with the, so many so many trappings could have led it to misogyny, like I mean, the many sufferings, the many men, the. You know, the whole that. But I think it's more now on how, what the film focuses on, which is on how she deals with it. It's not necessarily interested in subjecting her to these things, but how she manages to sort through things or maybe not. And you you said that the ending is going to defeat us. How we got there. Um, in a way, Gervais is simple as well also simple, but it knows what it needs to do for us to understand the main character. And I think that is, I love that. I I love when a film knows what it needs to do.
1: I want to share, I just want to share like a very, very specific quote that I really like because I I had a screenshot about it. Because this is what makes me agree with you when it says it knows what it wants to do. Because I feel like all three men in the film are very important and has like very specific roles and i feel like there's reasons why they have to be there's So like this particular scene um gervais says i thought i'd forgotten lantier lantier is the first guy she says a man who took you at 15 who made you so unhappy can't be forgotten and you know at one point i feel like uh oh, that's kind of annoying this is not my favorite part of the film i i don't like that we're going back to this guy again but then it just makes so much sense because it, it it um um I don't know if justifies the word, but it no, it explains. It explains why she's that fragile, why this character has to come back in again. And it feels so heavy. Maybe because I, you know, I somehow resonate with the with the character or that particular struggle. But it's so nice. It's a, a very tiny thing, but it explains. It it plants why this character has to be there. So really nice. Very and G. And- yeah,
0: and just I remember one friend of mine who, um, uh, do you watch Lars von Trier's work? Um, I know there's a lot of of um, school of thought, schools of thought that says that his cinema is misogynistic because of her characters, uh, his characters, uh, what they're going through. Um, I remember a friend who said that, you know, maybe it's not that misogynistic when the filmmaker is actually interested in the sufferings and the the ordeals of a woman, and. What be now for me it just mat it just now depends on where the film positions itself. Does it make the suffering a spectacle, or does it make it a point for us to empathize and be with her in that um, struggle? So, you know, Gervais manages to balance things out, and um, it's a really it's a, it's a bit it's a bit um it's a bit heavy to watch, but. It's very digestible <laughs> and uh, it's clear. So, yeah. G. So, the remaining film is Harp of Burma from Japan, directed by Kon Uh It's about in 1943, Japanese surrender, a Japanese platoon, a Japanese soldiers surrendered to British forces in Burma. And then the harp player from that group was selected to deliver a request for surrender. But um. They they um uh, Mizushima the, the name is Mizushima Mizushima fails to convince the soldiers, so then Mizushima disguises himself as a Buddhist monk. This premiered in Venice and won two special awards. I know the last time you were here, you were requesting for Asian cinema. Now I got you one. What did you think of *Harpo Burma*? It's
1: the tearjerker one ah uh, the the Lestrada and Ah uh, Gervais was very, very sad again. The films, but it did make me cry. It just made me feel so, so heavy. This one made me feel didn't, i it does make me feel heavy, but you know that it did it right because um I was able to release that heavy feeling afterwards. like I'm not saying it's too positive. Or anything, but I feel like somehow um, it was wrapped up, wrapped up so well. Or it, um, as a whole, it wasn't. Um, I like the pacing of the film, I guess. And the themes. I don't know if it just so happens that I enjoy the use of music or the importance of music in this film. But it was, it was nice. It was it's light, but it's not the same light when we say "Give It Talk or "Captain from Copernicus Light it's light good I hope that makes sense but I'm saying I like it
0: I want to stay on this one um Harp of Burma thrilled me right from the get-go it's a film that commands you to stick and stay with a story its tone is very meditative but it never gets um, repetitive it is a film that is patient in the story that it wants to tell there are a lot of characters and the film manages to find visual storytelling that really tells so much with blocking and framing it is a story of defeat but not of just flat out misery it is about you feel the film is empathizing with the fight for survival, the characters, even if I don't know all of them by name, you feel that there's a journey there, and the film is interested in all of those, and you see them and how they are placed within the frame. The film is very mood heavy, and that is important because it transports me to their place, and not my place. I I don't just mean that Burma in nineteen forty three but the headspace where they're in why they're going there it is a film that shows us and also not shows us stuff it is very knowing of this is the what's happening in the moment this is how I'll show it um there are a lot of moments in Harper Burma what I was just in chills i, I it's i haven't I don't know, felt it in quite a while of like knowing when you're in full awareness that the filmmaker just knows what they're doing. And Harp of Burma is just... Um, <laughs> it's a spoiler, but I-, I cannot believe... I'm so glad I made it to this point of the podcast because I got to reach this film. One of the first nominees and it's from Japan. It's, you know, Asian cinema is very underrepresented in this category. that, But, oh my gosh. Harp of Burma is... When you say that the cinema cinema is about generating empathy, it doesn't try to, I don't know, make the drama that it is beyond what it is. You know, it is. It doesn't try to heighten the melodrama. But the essence of the story is just there and the film just knows how to extract that. I, I know I'm like, how many minutes now are I going? But it's just <laughs> so full of life. Of it allows you to breathe within the same pace. It is I I cannot believe uh, this is great.
1: I, I agree with so much of what you said, but since you know, I don't want to repeat all of that, but I I just I really agree so much. I'll add something interesting now that I realize about it. It's a war film. And it's a really interesting war film. War film is I you Know it's not the first thing I would think about. Um, there's so much peace and calm for mm. a war film, I mm-hmm. guess. That you know, um, usually it's more sadness and then there's like a big jump of hope you get at the end, maybe from a war comic. Uh, if you watch a war film, but for this one, it's just it, it really, um, it really illustrates Buddhism, which you know, I feel like you know, it's it's a I guess maybe not a central theme, but uh, it's it's a very powerful element. I feel like it's so guided by it. That's why we feel so good about it. But it's still so heavy. Again, it's the tearjerker film of this bunch, right? But there's there's a certain lightness to it. I really keep going back to the word light. Maybe it's more of light as in not glowing, but you know, light brightness. Um somewhat hope.
0: But it's not a, it's not toxic positivity. You know. So it's, I I like it. I like it. Yeah and also It's a yeah. rush film. <laughs> 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 and also the film allows you to have that journey, that emotional journey, you know? Like I when I was watching it, I like it took me it took me a while to like oh yeah, this is a war film. I didn't know. And the whole time, because I think we are kind of aware of the cinematic language of war films for the most part, since we are exposed in a lot of them, especially war films from the United States, where, you know, there's a certain um, kind of filmmaking that comes from there. With this one, it is very patient. It just goes through the motions and it lets you feel what it, it needs to be. Feel. And, you know, it's hitting those moments defeat, hope, um, empathy, uh, unity, you know being lost being found and and i'm so dramatic right now but it just goes through those in such a clear way and it is methodically paced that makes it unpredictable i think when we talk about unpredictable a lot of people think about like fast pace this one really wants you to settle in and observe closely and then in each micro-moment, you're finding something. And I think that is um, very interesting because, you know, like I said, in, in war films, it's, a lot of war films are concerned with big moments. Harper of Burma wants you to listen, wants you to observe, wants you to look at the faces of soldiers, even though it's not in a close-up. It, it wants, the film wants you to be invested in the humanity of everyone involved. And it does it not necessarily by making sure that we know every single thing about everyone, but making sure that in that moment we are with them i i, I cannot I, I cannot expound any further this is this is delicious is i oh my gosh and like I said gonna, I think there's a quote like i uh, I'm gonna read a quote like um burma is Buddha's country I would admit I am not well known I, I am not well versed with Buddhism. But the film does have a spiritual uh, feel to it that I, I'm, I haven't seen the thin red lines. So maybe other listeners would like question me. But war films with this spirituality is so rare. Asian spirituality, even more. And uh, it's not as concerned with the physical physicality of the war, but it is concerned in what is behind the physicality. And of course, it's so brutal at times. But half Burma is really uh, um allowing you to meditate and what is really mm-hmm. happening. And uh,
1: <laughs> I I I love this. And the thing about war films, aside from like you know, usually they have like big moments. Maybe the um um how important the historical context is like the history like, it, not that you have to know it fully but definitely in this case you don't have to know it at all but you would really feel the core mood or i don't know if it's if you, it feels wrong to just generalize more like that but you know it has that course it has a soul of you know um it has a soul that's that, that's the that's the thing, period it has a soul, so it it doesn't it doesn't have to rely on its context, given that it's a war film, like you know maybe it's it's not even an afterthought like usually um I'd have to you know refresh on my history so I could you know fill fill in some pieces or maybe you know you you kind of feel like resonating with with it more, but with this one, it goes straight to um the general enlightenment part. You know? of yeah of of watching a film i it, i think that it's it's a very successful film, given that 'cause it it has that feeling, and not that you wanna act immediately towards it, but I know it sparks something in there you know like <laughs> it's it's a it's a really good mood piece. uh good uh if i'm gonna starting right now, if I think mood piece i'm gonna think of this film, but it's a narrative yeah has an, a strong narrative you know It actually it has strong characters as well yeah we haven't even gone to that to the strong characters it has we're just talking about the
0: soul of this
1: film yeah. and it's already so nice so
0: there's a lot there's a lot to it yeah the I forgot the name of the, I think it's a Mizushima the, the harp the harp player his character is very enigmatic not in a trying hard way, What is it's just, it, 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 the character taps into the space between the big moments, the things unsaid, the emotions not processed, and kind of, pro, kind of like personified, you know, because he, he does pretend to be a monk and that kind of allows him to move, kind of transcend the limitations of war for a moment. Um, this is still a La Strada episode. We're just talking about one film, but <laughs> this is this this. this oh we tend God. to do this on the show. If yeah, we have that fangirl film we yeah.
1: have
0: one usually film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll know. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, I am struck with what you said. It is both a mood piece and a narrative piece, and the film doesn't falter in both. But Usually, I think usually in film school, like you're just gonna be allowed to be one thing. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what are you? Are <laughs> Go this way, one direction or the other. But with this film, it it is both. And that just pulls you in further without even knowing everything. I mean, I'm not even sure. I'm, I'm trying to take a look. Uh, it, it's based on a children's novel. It's based on a children's novel of the same name. Um, I am not that sure if the children's story is based on a true story. But it feels anecdotal, which makes it feel even more immediate, which makes it feel even more, quote-unquote, real. You know, the same way with um, 1959, The Bridge. You know, The Bridge is about like seven, seven, I think, young sold- German soldiers who had to watch over a bridge. Um, it is just so specific and even small scale in a way. Um, how did it get there? Harper Borma feels both epic and small scale. I cannot get enough of this film.
1: It's a two-hour film, right?
0: Yeah, one hour fifty-six. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We love it so much. Yeah. Um, we haven't even talked about the music. I feel like that's something also that I really, really <sighs> love about it. It, it makes like literally the. The musical score is good, but at the same time, the use of music—I feel like it's so symbolic and it defined the importance of music in general. It it makes you appreciate it more, which is super good. And the thing with music, um, is it transcends languages. Really, really interesting. Cause this is a you know international, foreign film. So, I mean. The fact that it was able to transcend that and use music. um, It's perfect. It's the perfect element for this category. I would say. Yeah. And the also music, like... Yeah.
0: Thing, yeah. And it, 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 it being about a harp. Like, <laughs> hmm, yeah, you gotta get your music right. But with, Har- with Harp of Burma, I agree that the music just... I've been using... It transports you into that place. Place being being those soldiers, those Japanese soldiers in Burma, and it being stuck in, like, a... stuck being, like, in a purgatorial, like, where are we gonna go next? That that feeling of being lost, and also knowing that, you know, defeat and being lost. That, and, you know, the, the thing that transcends it. Like, um... In a way, Mizushima doesn't just feel like a person playing the music. It feels like he also embodies that music. Um... I just want to give a shout out to not Mizushima. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Shoji Yasui played Yoshijima. Um But the musical composer is Akira Ifokube, who also did the music on the original Godzilla franchise from Japan. Um, This is a very special film. It is. It is.
1: I have one last thing. Are we ending it? Already? No, no, go ahead. Go, go, go. I One last thing why it's so perfect. I mentioned the elements, the character, that it's a narrative, it, it's the purpose, the soul. Um, I would also say this is the only film that I really, really actually would note the form. I like the lighting, the cinematography of this film. It's not like, you know, I, I wouldn't like the. Exactly, I didn't exactly screenshot specific parts of the film or say that, oh, this part is so symbolic. But then the simplicity of it actually, it just really ties everything together. That's why it's a good mood piece. And that's why I know it's a film. Because I'm seeing something. I'm not just hearing it, you know, because again, it has a musical element to it. But I'm not just hearing things. I'm seeing it. it, it it's perfect.
0: I would, I would agree, yeah. So... As a producer, <laughs> as a producer, <laughs> you know, I, I would love to get to make a, a film like this, but maybe it's not in my personality to be this quiet. <laughs> like, I like big drama. All right. So, G? G. All right. So, I would like to hear your overall, like, vibe on these four. Uh, aside La Strada first, for now. The captain from Kupinic, Gervais, Harp of Burma, and Kiwi Talk. How do you feel about this group? This being the first Group of nominees in this category?
1: Um, a lot of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> of, course, of, course, of, course. of course, I am Asian. Of course, I feel weird about lots of Europe. I feel like definitely compared to the previous episodes that I guested in, which I maybe one or two more Asian films. I guess um, this really feels a bit harder. I feel more distant to this bunch. But um, in terms of, in general, I'm just surprised that, you know, in the 1950s, I would find a lot of interesting female characters. Again, I'm not saying like they're, you know, progressive, progressive, but I have female characters. I was surprised that I do have female characters to look at in this bunch. That That is the the best part that I enjoyed
0: about it. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, when you came here first in 1993, you had three Asian nominees. <laughs> that hasn't happened since. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I wonder why. And in the 1978 episode, I don't think there was even a single Asian nominee there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said no Asian films. Yeah, I I remember. Um. So, yeah, this one, we have one great one but i wonder where could they because i wonder where could they get like another asian film probably let's uh, you know for me before i go there um it's a decent start of this category you know you have the lightweight comedy you have the lightweight drama you have the heavy drama dramas <laughs> um bomber feels almost it pushes to it challenges the form, which is always good. And, um, you know, this is a decent bunch to start this category. And, um, you know, I would say there are years that are below this quality. So this is a good start. Um, this year, there were other nominees in other categories. Um, for example, in the documentary feature nom- category, there is Where Mountains Float, also from Denmark. And the winner in the documentary feature was The Silent World from France. And then for Best Story, Umberto D. from Italy, directed by Vittorio De Sica. Um, have you seen Seven Samurai? Yes. All right, so Seven Samurai, directed by Akira Kosawa. It was nominated for Art Direction Black and White and Costume Design Black and White. Can you tell me a bit about it and what do you feel about it?
1: Seven Samurai. Um... I don't know if it's a it's a Japanese thing, but I'm kind of gonna generalize here since I haven't seen it in a while. But um, it's it also it, um Kurosawa has a mood feeling as well as it has good narrative, but um, it it really has a strength in 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 its mood and its form. I think yeah. Um, I do have kind of that generation thing with Japanese film. Maybe I don't know if it just so happens that the films that I watch are. Um, they have a, um, Japanese have a certain way of framing things, which is just very peaceful, still but very peaceful. Um, that's how I describe it. Um, yeah. Um, so it what year was Seventh Samurai? Right? It's this year? If it's, it's that it's the same year?
0: No, it was yeah. released in the United States this year and was nominated at the Oscars this year. But it was, yeah. I think, fifty four really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see.
1: I see, but yeah I, I think that's that's it for me on shaman samurai but yeah
0: heavy on moon me. For me yeah. what they like about him. i haven't seen it maybe i should have <laughs> um and then oh the last one is the red balloon from france directed by Albert moris it won the best original screenplay and it is a silent film it is about a boy who becomes friends with a red balloon And he chases the balloon around Paris, and there are times when the balloon chases him in Paris. Uh, This is a delightful film. Um, (laughs) I have a sense of why this became like a hit at the time, and you know it was a short film, only thirty-five minutes, but was nominated for original screenplay and won original screenplay. Um, It it resides. I'm I'm not sure if it's like magical realism but it resides in the the entire environment is very realistic except the balloon and that gives it more uh visual power and that it sticks out. Um I can't say anything more. I it's a very delightful film and um yeah. All right, so this year there were <laughs> 8 submissions. There were eight submissions for foreign language film at the Oscars. Um, Contrast that to 2021, when I think we had 93 or 92. So they only had eight options. Let's see the films they didn't choose. So first, from Spain, Afternoon of the Bulls. It is focusing on four parallel stories. Senior Bullfighter, The Winner of the Day... Sorry, senior bullfighter having an ish- issues with her his with his, her his lover, the winner of the day, distracted with the notice of a new baby, and then an amateur that enters the ring. And in the Staffan Stoll story from Sweden, it is about the titular man who becomes a heir to a rich family, but um he engage- he agreed to be engaged to a woman that he doesn't love. But instead, he flees the country to find true love. And then the eighth submission is Anak Dalita or in English, Child of Sorrow. It's from the Philippines. It is about a disabled Korean war hero who strikes um, a bond with a sex worker at the ruins of Manila post-war. And they stick with each other because um, apparently heroism means nothing in post-war Manila. Um, why have we not seen this film? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought I was Japanese, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: um, in In my case, I just didn't have the time. it was it, it's a complicated time for me. Oh, the last time you had is we had the recording, I was also having hard times. What is happening? But, you know, with Anak Talita, it was recently restored by ABS-CBN Film Archives. And um, they did their best with the restoration. But um, I I haven't seen it. It's directed by national artist Lamberto Avellana. And it stars Tony Santos and Rosa Rosal. And one of the characters is also... Portrayed by Vic Silayan, one of my favorite Filipino actors with uh, Karnal and Kisap Mata. Um, we're so sorry. We I, Actually, we apologize for not being able to watch this film. It is um, it is considered a classic in Philippine cinema. However, it is very hard to find, except we, until recently. And um, the restoration is still not 100% clean, but we gotta do what we gotta do because you know the vinegar syndrome of the film in the Philippines and film archiving here has been uh, crappy um do you have anything you want to say i
1: apologize <laughs> but uh, you know um actually it was actually sur- i was being surprised that there is a copy of this i didn't know that it was just recently um archived but i was i was looking at the copy that um, we were able to have to get and uh, it it's really not at its best. That's why it's hard to, I guess, get into it. So yeah. more push for film archiving. Um, not your fault, gangs, but I'm sorry for the attention span that I have now. But um, yeah, quick shout out. It's really good, though, that we that
0: there's a copy in there. And
1: no excuses. Um, I'll make time to watch it.
0: Yeah. And um, out of the eight countries that submitted... Only the Philippines has not been nominated yet at the Oscars. I wonder freaking why. Um. Hmm. Oh well. Watch because us get a, a nomination, char.
1: But there's a podcast like people are not seeing how your eyes are just you know.
0: I'm just rolling my eyes. Frustrated but also pressured because I know. We'll get that nomination. We, we, winning. You oui. and oui. I. Yeah. <laughs> not the country. You and
1: I. It's, yeah, wink, wink. On what
0: film? I'm. Wink, wink. wink. What so, happened uh, now, guys? <laughs> <laughs> should should so, be. just get the
1: elections over with.
0: Yeah, let's get over uh, the elections. Let's win the right. Let's make the right candidates win. <laughs> Let's not elect some crappy people, and uh, we'll talk about films after the elections. Otherwise, bye, guys. All right. So for this year, um, there were also other films, uh, um, not submitted though. Uh, like for example, Aparahito, which is part of the, um, I forgot which trilogy, but know, it was Satyajit Ray. It started with Pather Panchali, and then Aparahito. and then the last one was a, uh, um. Oh my gosh. I'm so bad. I didn't know it was the last one. A trilogy. I'm so bad. I'm sorry. But it's directed by Sacha Jit Rai. And then the docu- the short documentary, Night and Fog. Um, directed by Alim Burriar. It is about the footage. Uh, it is uh, featuring the footage of what happened pre-Holocaust, during Holocaust, and post-Holocaust. Um, you know, it's not eligible because it's a short documentary. But this is one of the best films ever that I've seen. It makes me want to become a documentary filmmaker. I almost did. <laughs> but didn't happen. Uh, it, it It is just pushing the form to tell a story in the most powerful way possible. That would also get the message across. Images are haunting but with purpose. No wonder why there are countries that play this in national television so that they would be reminded of the atrocities of the Holocaust and would not happen again. I wonder why that's not being done here in our country. I don't know. But Night and Fog is just so powerful. And it makes me proud to be a filmmaker in a way because it is an artifact. It was made in 1956, only 11 years after the war. I don't think it could have been made later. It needed to be that fresh. You know, one would say you need distance, but Night and Fog dared to do that at the soonest time possible. And what we got is some really powerful stuff within 35 minutes. I am proud as an editor. I am proud as a filmmaker that this film was made. And it makes me proud that we are passionate about cinema because this is what cinema should be. I don't know. Um,. Have you seen this one? That's heavy. I oh, know.
1: I I've, I've actually gone through the other uh well, we have a copy in the drive. Um I was looking at the shots. I remember because I was checking oh which films are in black and white, because sometimes I have an attention span of a very modern woman
0: who very confessional, huh?
1: <laughs> Yeah. Who prefers to watch in color sometimes. No, I, I have like moods. I I remember looking this up and you know, um, finding out that it's you know archive footage and has very interesting shots. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna say too too much of it. You
0: already glorified
1: it in a way, but um, it's something to it's something to see. I you convinced me.
0: Yeah, and it's just 35 minutes, so we're actually going to play the film now, and we're going to do, like, an audio <laughs> commentary. <laughs> that kidding. was our plan before. That was our plan. I know, like, we're going to do an audio commentary. I think an Autumn Sonata. Yeah.
1: I think. And we'll do, do that, that for Harp of Burma. Yes. And we're
0: also just going to do, like, um, Inside... Gossip. Oh, <laughs> do you know her? <laughs> Not related to the film, but you know. This is a wonderful year in film. This is the beginning of this category. This category has been double edged. Some people think it's um it's a great gateway to be able to discover world cinema more. And other people think it's a very flawed system because of the one country, one film submission thing. It becomes it is this is one of the most politic political um categories at the Oscars and you know because of countries and all but this category is wide as up this podcast exists, so nice one Oscars, but you gotta nominate the Philippines at a certain point, you know. Anyway
1: is our year.
0: Yeah, maybe next year, but maybe if we make (laughs) better We make our better, film first. Make a better country. <laughs> we make our film better. Me ma- before making better films, make a better country first. That's mm. true. All right, so uh, Daisy, 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 uh Daisy. After everything has been said and done, this is the last time I'm Ooh. gonna ask this category- this question because after this, we're gonna do honorary awardees There is no like deserving winner. I won't ask that anymore. Um, Lestrada, do you think it was a worthy winner in this category? Well,
1: I I can't just blurt so much love for Harp of Burma and say Lestrada is worthy of it, so yeah, it's bumped down for me. Nope, I, I prefer something else.
0: Um, I would be on the same page. Um, I understand why it is very much hailed as a classic of, the, of cinema and uh. I am not taking away any of that. Um, but just on a personal note, um, there are, there are there is one film that stuck with me more. And uh, I think in terms of Fellini as well, the following year here would be rewarded for Nights of Cabiria, which is a wonderful winner of this category. Also not my pick from that year. But that was a... I prefer that much more than La Strada. And I think La Strada, unfortunately... I don't consider it a Fellini favorite. And um, yeah, never mind. So <laughs> so let's rank the five nominees. What's your number five? Number
1: five is Kivito. Have I pronounced that
0: correctly. Yeah. My number hit, five. Hit or yeah, miss. go
1: ahead. Just a hit or miss. So it,
0: I can't put it anywhere else if it's... You know. yeah. my number five is Kiwi it hmm. okay. it's a fleeting
1: it's fine. Film. so yeah. let just put it at the end what's your four? number four is La Strada I, I, actually for the first time for this episode I, I remember from the f- previous ones I think I didn't really prepare like, the, the ranking so for this one I actually kind of thought about it so it was. I put La Strada.
0: Yeah,
1: not not a fan.
0: Sorry, Filin. He's listening. <laughs> <laughs> scary. Very concerned about us. Um, my number four is La Strada.
1: Oh, yeah. Winning. What's team.
0: your? Our, we both know our number one is. Can you say it together? One, two, three. Burma. Kidding. Venus. <laughs> 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 Burma, right? Harbour Burma, yes. Ah, so I'm gonna ask you now, what's your three and two?
1: My number three is dun dun
0: Gervais.
1: I forgot their pronunciation.
0: Gervais.
1: It it's gervais for me. And your two? Number two is Captain from opening yours is.
0: This is one of the most boring things. My number three is also Gervais and Ooh. my number two is also Catherine from Komenik. We have the exact same ranking. My number one Finally. is both Harp of Burma.
1: Yeah. <sighs> nice,
0: nice, nice. This is the real unity. Char! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it is, it I am very much surprised that we align on this one. Because I have seen the three... I have seen Kiwi Talk, Captain from Kupinic in Harper, Burma last night. Gervais and La Strada just a while ago. So I I didn't have the time to like talk to you in advance. Maybe like get hints or anything. And this is the time... I think I'm... I'm thinking of what is this the only time that I synced perfectly with my guest? I am thinking because usually there is one that we kind of not get along with. Got five for five. This is nice. Creepy. I'm surprised by your two and three.
1: You oh. like drama. Why isn't Gervais in real
0: life? Movie? I do. <laughs> <laughs> in real life, I like drama, but. Uh, The captain from Kupinic just feels it feels right to be on top of Gervais for me because I am more confident about that film. Um, Are you doubting my choices? (laughs)
1: Not really, but I feel like um maybe I'm not sure if I can remember like, from the from the previous episodes. I feel like maybe your rankings you would also base it on, you know, it's like your you're trying to guess who's gonna win, not just based on feels. I'm a feels person. I feel like you're more tapping
0: into your. <laughs> I'm a feels person. Excuse me.
1: You are, but like I feel like sometimes you look into things more systematic than I do. Just a tad bit
0: more.
1: A no, tad bit more. Just,
0: yeah. I have moments. <laughs> I have moments <laughs> when I really overthink the ranking. And then yeah. there are moments when I'm just like, this is me. This is me right now. Let's go. Uh, but, you know, I agree. There are days when I'm just like, I'm stressing out. But I, I cannot afford to be stressed right now because my, my nerves would ex- nerve. Exactly. My nerve would explode. Oh well, but you know we got a really good, we got a we got a good start with this category. We got five, and especially like we said like, like before, Asian freaking cinema. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. like it? And we're not just more like, of it. And we're not just ranking it number one because we're all Asians. It's just like it's really good.
1: Yeah, but I feel like it's still factor because we're Asians not because we resonate with it more but you know maybe i will yeah, deny. stop talking i, I will deny I like any racist um viewers saying anything anymore so
0: yeah i, I want, I want them to say more so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know like I said we got five out of five we are totally in sync um this is the true unity that we are looking forward to this year. The world is
1: healing. The
0: world, the world is, is healing. healing. We're excited. united. Yeah. We just got to get through May 9 with the right people. So with that, Daisy, thank you so much for joining me again Yay. for the third time. I cannot believe that you um, agreed um, to do this for the third time. And Good things comes in threes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Char. Oh and, my god. Oh my god, stop. And stop. I just wanna say that I am so proud of our like episodes because um we've had chats outside of the podcast setup. Of course, we've been through film school together, but um just our conversations here are very lit. Lit, lit. <laughs> it's so lit. It's it makes me excited every time I have you and it's like, Oh, I have to prepare like twice harder because she's gonna be here and you know she is she's who she is <laughs> and uh, I have to so again thank you so much for being a wonderful guest and uh, again can you tell the listeners where can they find you and your work
1: thank you so much everyone for listening I I same with same with Ohano or one Carlos Ohana. The one Carlos Ohana. I can't believe there's already three episodes. But please follow my recent work, um, looking for reflecies and other fleeting things. So look it up on Facebook. LF No, no, no I won't say the acronym, but looking for reflecies and other fleeting things. It takes up so much time, but um it's it's a nice film that we did. So hope you have the time to follow us.
0: I'll link it, to, it I'll link it to the caption. So yeah. I uh, mm-hmm. hope you, our listeners, would ch- be sure to check that out. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Honda. This podcast is everywhere. Again, I hope you consider supporting me and Patreon in this final stretch because the regular episodes will end, the bonus episodes won't. So, we'll still do the retrospectives of the nominees. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully, we reach 1956 where we just do one episode. Specifically for Harp of Burma. That's a long ride, but let's go. Also, again a reminder, since this is the first competitive foreign language film category, for next episode, until the finale, we are just going to do one film. We're going to try to watch other films from that year as well. But we don't have nominees. There will only be one honorary foreign language film award recipient. And the guests are excited and I hope you are as well. And then the final final episode would would be whichever film wins international feature film this year. So, the nominees are what <laughs> are the nominees? Um Drive My Car, Flea, Lulana, Ayak in the Classroom, The Hand of God, and The Worst Person in the World. If you already have a guess on which film would win international feature film, I hope you stick around so that you could get to the very end of the season where we talk about whichever film wins this year. So, yeah, continue listening. And uh, hi, Jamie. I hope you reached this end of the episode. <laughs> nice to meet you in spirit. Like, harp of Burma spirit. Again, I'm wishing you all well. This is a goodbye for now. And together, let us break the one-inch barrier.